right. Thanks, you guys. All right, moving right along. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, when I was reading the names, I missed a new friend of mine, Ryan Heslin, back there, Air Force, right? Am I getting a high sign? All right, good. All right. Thank you for your service, sir. Uh, okay, so now, before we get started this morning, I want to tell you a couple of obvious things. I have the best job in the world. I don't know if you guys realize that. I have the best job in the world. Um, every Sunday morning, I get to stand up here and talk about God's word. I get to talk about God's words, his message to us, and um, explain it a little bit more and talk about how it works in our lives. And if that wasn't enough, I actually get to do that every Tuesday morning, too, with our adult Bible study. And then, as you saw in that video up there, I get to do it on Wednesday night with a bunch of our youth in the committee in the community here. So it's, a, it's a, actually an amazing ride that I get to go on. And then sometimes the band actually lets me play up here, if they're kind to me, they let me play. And then and we get to open up, you saw the Sunday school, Sunday morning, I get to open up the jam sessions, along with some of these children's sermons like this. So, man, I got the best job in the world. But um, now, I tell you that because that doesn't give me a lot of time left over to do things. But I don't say that to, you know, to make you feel sorry for me, but the time that I use then reading the Bible is very valuable to me. And it made me realize um, that that should be very valuable to all of us. Um, why are these stories in the Bible? Why are these things, um, why does God include these things? I feel like that's kind of how God feels, too. You know, that we've only got a limited amount of time to read the Bible. So when we sit down to read it, God has a message for us. He has a story for us. He has something that he wants us to take away uh, from all of that. So we, we think about all those things. And so that brings me to today. You know, today is a, a unique uh, place in the church calendar. Um, last week, uh, we celebrated All Saints Day. Uh, the week before that was Reformation Sunday. Um, next week is Christ the King Sunday. You're thinking, oh, who knew that one, right? right? Well, and then in, in nestled in all of that, we have today. It doesn't have a special name to it. It doesn't have a special title. Um, I, think, I was thinking about naming the message uh, Sunday the 13th, because this is the 13th. But for those of you keeping score at home, this is the 23rd week of Pentecost. Sort of a, a wild card week. Unless we're doing kind of a series that includes all of those Sundays that I just talked about, um, we kind of have a, a wild card day here, of, you know, in between All Saints Day and, and Christ the King Sunday. And again, now, the reason I ran, ran down my schedule for you is because, like I said, that Bible time that I get um, is, is special to me. It's, it, it's precious to me. It's, it's very valuable to me. And it should, again, be to all of us, no matter what Bible we're reading. If we're reading this first grade Bible that we just handed out, or the third grade Bibles that we've handed out in the, in the last couple, a couple of weeks ago, or the Bible that you have in the pew in front of you, or the Bible that you have at home, it, we should take that time. That should be very valuable to us. We should not waste a chance to understand God's purpose and God's message in his word. Not waste an opportunity to understand God's purpose and God's message in his word. And God's message, the purpose and the message of the Bible is, is one and the same. Now, Jesus is the main point. He is the main purpose. He's the main message in the Bible. So when we look at, at the words that God's given us, the stories, the lessons, the promises, um, we'd be very wise to always try to relate it back to the Messiah. Right, uh, you know, relate it back to the Christ. Relate it back to Jesus especially when we're reading the Old Testament. And I say that because um, Jesus is, uh, you know, for two reasons, but number one is Jesus is much more obvious in the New Testament. 
right? And I say now we have to pay attention to the Old Testament because we have to read Jesus into the Old Testament because the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. It's about the Christ. And I say it again because that's one where we're going to be placing this morning. This is the story we're going to be looking at this morning. And you may have heard that already, the story that Lyle read for us this morning. You know, that historical account we read a few minutes ago took place about 3,000 years ago. David lived about 1,000 years before Jesus, give or take. It, fe- it features a king, right? It features an earthly king, that story. God used that king. God used David to accomplish some amazing things, for God to accomplish some amazing things in God's kingdom. Um, during his reign, David expanded um, the Israelites' land by about 10 times with the, about from the amount that he took over from Saul. And yet, although not perfect, David, uh, with all that success, um, he remained a, a man after God's own heart, as they say. With all those accomplishments, um, at this moment when, when Lyle was reading out of 2 Samuel, um, David was at the peak of his life. And yet, his mind wasn't on military conquests. It wasn't about kingdom issues or anything. Instead, it was, he was more concerned of fulfilling the promises that he had made, or one of the specific promises that he had made. Now, to set this up for a moment, uh, the moment we're about to dig in historically in, in gospel speaking, um, David was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first king. And the way it went back in the day, um, your sons became king after you were king. So that's what everybody expected. But then it became very obvious to Saul and to everybody else that God had chosen David to be the second king of Israel. Not um, Saul had a son named Jonathan. We're going to talk about all this in a second. So, da- uh, so Saul did everything he could to kill David. Obviously was not successful with it. So now fast forward to this moment in time that we're talking about now. David has been king now for about 20 years. I'll get into that a little bit more. But now David, um, again, has, has these incredible conquests. He's had this incredible um, success as a king. And so one day in 2 Samuel 1, uh, 9, the first part of verse 9, or verse 1 rather says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Now, before David can go any further, his officials figure they know where David's going with this. Um, See, it was a custom back in the day that the new king would wipe out the former king's relatives, all of them, just to make sure that there wasn't going to be any revolt, any rebellion coming up, any brouhaha's coming up. So remember also the fact that Saul hated David. So David could, you know, rightly have a vengeance, you know, feeling about Saul's family, right? But he didn't. So these guys are thinking, you know, um, David wants to make sure that all of those relatives are gone, right? Let's just double check and make sure that we don't have any of them around. But that's not where David was going with this. He finishes his thought. One day David asks, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember that Jonathan is King Saul's son. And even though Saul hated David, Jonathan loved him as a brother. And they made vows together. One of the vows that they made together was that they were going to protect each other's family from now until the end of time. So then that's one that that's what David is talking about here. And this word kindness, right? This word kindness um, had to surprise all those officials. Like I said, you know how when somebody says a sentence, you think you know where they're going with it, and all of a sudden they're going someplace else with it? That's what happened to these guys. Anyone in Saul's family still alive because we're going to go get them is how they think that he's going to end that sentence, but he doesn't. He said, anyone I can show kindness to. That's the, that's the Hebrew word hesed. Um, it's a beautiful, very common word in the Old Testament, 250 times maybe. It's best translated in the New Testament as grace. 
And not just grace, God's grace. So David says, is there anyone in Saul's family that's still alive that I can show God's grace to? The same grace that God has shown me. Is there anybody that I can show God's grace to? For Jonathan's sake, because I have made, those, I made that vow with, with, uh, with Jonathan. Again, David's asking this. So no, God, just like God says, you know, he says, David says, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? He didn't qualify it. You know, God doesn't qualify it with us either. Um, he, he didn't say, is there, anyone, um, is there anyone qualified for this? Is there anyone worthy in, David, or in Saul's family? Is there anyone um, deserving in Saul's family? No, he just says, is there anyone there that I can show God's grace to, the same grace that God has shown me? Now, I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're about to see the greatest illustration of grace in the Old Testament. I talk about how we read the Bible, and I talk that we, about that we go over it a little bit too fast. We read some of these things, and we miss the obvious message that God has for us. If we forget that Jesus is the center of all Scripture, then we're not really reading God's words for what they really are. God is always pointing us back to the gospel. God is always pointing us back to salvation. So the greatest illustration of grace in the Old Testament revolves around a man with one of the strangest names you'll ever see. And well done, sir. And every one of you who's ever read any scripture, we're very happy that you weren't up here this morning. So hats off to you, Lyle. Well done, sir. Mephibosheth. I'm not sure who would name a kid that, but like I've said this morning, though, we need to examine things um, under a microscope when we're reading the Bible. First of all, we've got to read, why is this story in the Bible? I talked about how precious our Bible reading time is. It's the same way to God. God's saying, do I need to include this in my words to them or not? Why did God include this in the Bible? And then if we don't put ourselves into that story, or put ourselves into that narrative, we're missing the point. If we think the Bible was written for someone else, about someone else, at a different time, in a different place, we're missing the point. Hebrew says that the word is alive and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive and active. So why is this in the Bible? Where are you in the story and where is Jesus in the story? Where is the gospel in this story? And spoiler alert, you're going to see a picture of the Messiah in David. You're going to see a picture of the sinner, you, in Mephibosheth. And in this entire historical account, you're going to see a picture of the salvation, of, of salvation according to God. Salvation according to God. And I'll remind you again why God's grace is so truly amazing. God's grace is truly, amen to that? All right, so I want to show you this in the classic three ways, and I'm going to show it to you like this. So first of all, I want to show you that God's grace comes to you, comes to me. I want everybody to say that. God's grace comes to me. It sounds like my youth group. <laughs> Say it again. God's grace comes to me. Yes. So now, answering David's question, a servant of Saul's comes forward. 2 Samuel 2 and 3. He summoned a man named Ziva, who had been one of Saul's servants. He said, are you Ziva? The king asked, yes, that's who I am. king said, all right, is there anyone in Saul's family? Ziva probably thinks he knows where he's going with this too. Right? He's thinking, oh, do I sell these people out or do I protect them? What do I do? And then he says, if so, I want to show God's kindness, same word, God's grace to them. Ziva replied, yeah, Jonathan's still got a son alive. Oh, by the way, 
he's crippled in both feet. Okay, so the plot thickens. And as our first graders would say at this point, dun, 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 the plot thickens. Because this could still be a trap, an elaborate trap set by David. Also keep in mind, um, Mephibosheth means, uh, his name means a shameful thing. So again, I'm not sure why you'd name a kid that. That sort of tells us where, uh, you know, where we are with this guy. Also, his feet are crippled. He was injured the day that his father, Jonathan, and Saul got killed on the same day. And when word got back to um, you know, the home place, um, everybody tried to get out of there. They were running for their lives, literally. Um, Mephibosheth was about five years old, and his nurse or one of the servants was carrying him and uh, dropped him, and he fell. And we're not sure. Uh, when it says both feet, that's a pretty ambiguous word in Hebrew. We don't know how it's lower extremities, basically, but he's, he's crippled anyway. He can't get around, and he got, you know, ironically, um, dropped on that same day that, that Jonathan got killed. So to bring the gospel, gospel message um, closer to home, um, he, why is he telling David that? Well, he's telling him that because Mephibosheth can't get to David on his own. He can't get there on his own. David has to go to him, just as Jesus has to come to us, just as Jesus comes to us. But there's more, right? It says in verse 4, where is he, the king asked. He's in Lodavar, Ziva told him, at the home of Makir and Amiel. Okay, so Lodavar, um, that comes up in a couple of different verses. It's mentioned in scripture a couple of different times. Um, the literal translation of it means no pasture or no sheep. Um, in Amos, it's referred to as a nothing town. Um, some people con conquered Lodavar, and they said, well, congratulations, you've conquered absolutely nothing. That's what they thought of this place, and that's where, that's where this guy is, whose name means a shameful thing. So we keep going down further and further and further. So we're in the middle of nowhere here. In the middle of nowhere here, now listen to this, is the grandson of the former king who had a, a right to be the heir to a throne. I mean, he's going to be on the chart. He might not be close to the top, but he's on the chart. A no, nobody going nowhere. No hope of ever getting better on his own. But then the unthinkable happens. Unthinkable happens. The king comes to him. Not to give him what he's expecting, or what he maybe deserves, what society would say he deserves, to be killed because of his relation to Saul, but instead, David comes to him in the way God approaches us, with grace. Right? So God's grace comes to me, and then I want you to say this. God's grace accepts me. God's grace accepts me. You're getting better at this. All right. So like I said, now David's been king for about 20 years at this point. Mephibosheth, now listen, are you putting these dots together? Mephibosheth has been hiding now for 20 years for fear of being killed because he's related to Saul. That whole time. Then this knock comes on the door that he's been fearing. And again, instead of what he's thinking he's supposed to get or what he's going to get, what society says he should get, that death, that would have been justice, right? That would have been justice, getting what he had coming, what he had deserved. But he didn't need justice at that moment. And you know the opposite of justice is mercy. He didn't need mercy at that moment either, right? Ju Listen now. Justice is getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. He already wasn't getting what he deserved, right? And here he is, in the middle of nowhere, a nobody doing nothing. He refers to himself as a dog. Why would uh, the king go and pay attention to a dog like me? Right? What he needed was grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. 
justice, mercy, grace, God's grace in the middle. The word that David used here is kindness, as God's kindness. We're going to see that in a second. Quick reminder that David came to him, not vice versa, right? And I'm, I'm sure he rode to the palace in style. Just like us, the king knew he was broken in need of that grace. Just like that, God knows that we're broken in need of his grace. In need of a savior, a messiah that will come and give us his grace. God accepts us the way we are. He didn't say, David didn't say to Mephibosheth, go heal yourself or go get better and then come to me. God doesn't say that to us either. He says, bring your broken self to me and we'll put it back together again. And this story, just for, like us, just keeps getting better and better and better. The third thing I want you to say with me is God's grace adopts me. God's grace Say it like you mean it. God's grace adopts me. Now, now comes the moment of truth, right? Mephibosheth is standing here before the king. He's been summoned to be in front of the king, so he comes before the king, he bows down to pay honor, and David says those words that Jesus spoke so many times. Verse 7, look what he says. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Do you realize that that's the most repeated phrase that came out of Jesus' lips? Fear not. Fear not is a command. Look at there, it's got an exclamation point. Don't be afraid. He said, I intend to show you kindness. Because of my promise to your father, Jonathan, because of that promise, I'll give you all the property that once, he's going to restore him, right? Give you all that property back. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Are you getting this? Is this starting to make a little bit of sense? Are you relating the, this to the gospel message? The things that David is doing for this guy? He's not doing it because of Mephibosheth. He says it right here. No, I'm doing it because of my promise to Jonathan. I'm not because, doing it because of who you are. I'm doing it because of whose you are. Why does God give us his grace? Not because of who we are, because of whose we are, because of Christ in our lives. We are adopted because of Jesus. We are adopted into God's household. The same way Mephibosheth was. The most telling verse, let me bring it home to you, the most telling verse is in verse 11, the, first, the last half of verse 11. It says, from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like what? One of the king's own sons. He has been adopted. He's been brought into the family. He's no longer in Nowheresville. He is no longer a no one. He is no longer that dog that he referred to himself as. He belongs here because of the promises that David made. We belong to God because of the promises that he made to us. Again, not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, what did Meshavah do to deserve God's grace? Or the grace that David offered him? Absolutely nothing. Aside from being John's son, uh, Jonathan's son, he did absolutely nothing. Again, it's the same with us in God's grace. What have you done to deserve God's grace? Aside from belonging to Jesus, absolutely nothing. But God still extends that invitation and provides the support we need to follow and to trust him. Now, if you think about this all the way through, Mephibosheth could have refused the offer. He could have turned down that offer. He said, yeah, you know what, I'm fine where I am, doing what I am, where I am, no thanks. 
He could have decided he didn't trust David, refused to come to the table, and then miss out on all the benefits that came with it. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you have that same choice as well. God has offered the gift of grace. God has offered the gift of grace, which stands firmly between what you deserve, getting what you deserve, not getting what you deserve, and getting what you don't deserve. God has offered you the gift of grace. My question to you is, have you accepted it? Have you let Jesus into your heart as the king of kings, the king of your heart? And there's no getting around this. The choice is yours. The decision is yours. Whether you're making it here this morning for the first time or you're making it here for the hundredth time. My challenge to you is the same. Live into God's grace. Live into God's grace and trust his words. Amen? Amen. All right. Please stand with me.